reaction with Harry Brodge and Tony Azera. let that play a little bit longer, but folks, we have a busy, busy episode of Raw to get to tonight here on the Raw Reaction for August 11th, 2014 on Powerhouse Radio. Good evening, everyone. I am Harry Broadhurst, my co-host, returning after leaving me hanging last minute last week. Thanks for that, by the way. Tony Acero. Yeah, Tony, can you hear me? Yeah, I can, I can hear you. <laughs> that sounds like a guilty voice. <laughs> no, I'm actually, we're going to have to cut this uh, show short. I have to go. I'm sorry to leave you hanging again, but I have this thing. At this place with these people? Yeah. So, <laughs> thanks for thanks for stopping by, guys. No, I'm just kidding. Let's do this. Uh, as he mentioned, it is the raw reaction for August 11, 2014, the go-home episode for SummerSlam 2014, available on the... No, you know what? I'm not even going to do it. I, I, I can't bring myself to shill. I can't even bring myself to shill that hard. <laughs> Anyways. So, hey, Tony, let's talk about Raw. What do you say? All right, let's do this. Um, I, I, I think it's safe to say that Raw had arguably one of the greatest openings it's ever had. It was up there. If you didn't see it, and if you didn't see it, why are you listening to the show? But if you did see it, then, you know, you already know what we're talking about here. Paul Heyman rapped, and it was the greatest thing ever. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that, Tony. Yeah, as a longtime fan of hip-hop and all things rap cultured, um, I would have to say that he's probably in the top five just off of that one short blurb that he had. I know you did it word for word in the recap. Would you like to share with the fine people at home to break it down in case anybody missed anything there? Do you have access to your report here? Um, You know what? I'll bring it up a little later when we have the time and I can get to the actual computer. Um, For those that don't know, I'm I'm on my way home. I'm in a car. I'm going to feast while I'm on the radio, but don't worry, I promise I won't chew in your ear. <laughs> Is driving while you're on your phone legal in California? Mm-hmm. Yes and no. Um, it's supposed to be a hands-free environment, and uh, technically speaking, my hands are free. We totally discuss AJ later on. Anyway, getting back. <laughs> so we had... We had Heyman and Lesnar open up, and then after Heyman and Lesnar opened up the show, we had John Cena's response a little bit later, and then we had them interact a third time during Hulk Hogan's birthday party segment. And we'll touch on the birthday party segment a little bit further during Quick Hits here, but given its tie into this particular part of the show as well, I figured it'd be a good time to touch on it here as well. So a couple of questions for you, Tony. One, obviously he's got the number one selling DVD in sports entertainment right now. Did Paul Heyman convincingly sell you on wanting to watch SummerSlam this Sunday night as well? Well, 
admittedly speaking, I was already convinced um, to watch the SummerSlam because, you know, it's only nine ninety nine. Um, so I didn't, you know, I have no qualms with <coughs> watching it. Uh, so Heyman didn't really need to convince me. However, what he did convince me of is that he's continuously the uh, best guy on the mic in the WWE right now. Um, the man's just got it. And there's times where I'll hear him, and I won't completely sign on to him being the best ever, or at least at that particular moment. Uh, I believe a promo a week or two ago, people were saying was the best thing ever when he did the Pledge of Allegiance, you know. And I thought it was all right. Yes, I remember it. It was somewhat, you know, it was, it was all right, basically. Tonight, again, it was all right, but it's, it's the continuous little things that he does that just adds such an impact to the words, not so much what he's saying, but how he says it and how he makes something that is very, very same, very similar, very cliche, if you will, and just makes it seemingly new. Um, how many times have we heard people retort back via rap, whether it's Kurt Angle or, you know, I mean, even Big Show to John Cena? And usually it's done with, you know, tongue-in-cheek or funny. Heyman did the exact same thing, and yet he seemed to do it way different than we've ever seen before. So it was automatically entertaining. And then that's, that's why, I mean, that's why he is who he is. That's why he has a best-selling DVD right now. The man's fire. And, uh, no, he didn't convince me, but that's because I was already convinced, so... There wasn't much that he had to do, but in terms of applauding him for the promo, then, yeah, he's got my full support. All right, number two. Were you at all convinced by Cena's, both the tone of Cena's speech as well as the emotion that Cena was trying to convey in his response to Brock Lesnar a little bit later on in the show? None whatsoever. Um, <laughs> it was more of the same. I mean, we've seen this before. We've We've heard these words before. We've seen him go from from funny to fiery to passionate to Denzel, um, as, as, you know, I'm really going to trademark that, uh, the Denzel voice, because he, he tends to bring it out quite a bit, and uh, I'd like to think that I was the one that coined it. But anyways, yeah, uh, the, near the end, he got a little bit too boisterous for me, and I just, uh, like I said, I'm already sold on it, and uh, it's just one of those matches that kind of already, you know, did what they had to do. So him saying stuff that I've heard before, even in the last match that they had, it didn't really bring anything new to the table for me as far as Cena goes right here. And then the actual main event segment itself, the, the Hulk Hogan birthday party, your thoughts on Brock's interaction with Hogan there as well as the fact that him and Cena did not have any kind of physical contact before Raw went off the air this evening. Um, one part of me was deflated. I guess I wanted them to interact in such a way that was um, physical. But at the same time, I don't, I'm not saying they booked themselves into a corner. However, they wanted to do this Hulk celebration thing, and they did it. But they also knew that they had to sell the event one last time. So they kind of tied the two in together, which you could see not only by the event, but the T-shirt that Cena was wearing and all that other good stuff. So I'm not saying they tainted the moment, but seeing those guys in the ring and, and kind of, it felt like it should have been standalone, but it wasn't. They had to tie in present with the past. And I think they kind of heard it just a little bit. It worked. It just didn't work as best as I think they wanted it to. Yeah, I'm with you there. I enjoyed the fact that they interacted a little bit with each other during the show. And while I appreciate the fact that they got involved in the main event segment there, I think a little bit of physical contact would have definitely helped to further the the style that Brock Lesnar brings. Like when you had Lesnar get his hands on Cena originally going into Extreme Rules 2012 and he bloodied Cena up. He bloodied Cena up. It made people, especially the C-Nation members that Heyman himself was talking about marketing this match towards earlier, 
concerned as far as whether or not Cena would be able to overcome Lesnar. And I think doing the same thing tonight by having him go after Cena tonight, and I don't necessarily know if blooding him up is going to be the way to go there because they're in the middle of a ring with the segment with Hogan, and they continued that after the show. So obviously that wouldn't have been the answer. But I think having them with some kind of physical interaction with each other would have been something that the fans, both in the audience at and Portland, as well as at home watching on Raw, would have appreciated. Yeah, they wanted to end the show with Hogan, but they wanted to end the show with Brock and Cena. And there's various different ways that they could go about it. And I could give ideas, but I won't even know if I'm right. Because both of these moments were big, big moments. Like, I don't know how many people would be willing to go to the network to celebrate that moment solely. Um, but they could have possibly advertised it in such a way where it drew people to the network and still ended it with Cena and Brock. But they decided to tie it all together, and I'm not sure what they were looking for, but I assume um, that they didn't really hit the mark, whether it be timing, um, just the idea behind it all. But, yeah. I kind of think this is a match that sells itself, though, if you think about it. Well, yeah. And the, the fact problem, that I mean, it is arguably the biggest here. superstar in the company right now against its biggest special attraction. Yeah, I mean, the you know the very answer to your questions was the fact that you know no one really needed to sell me this match. It was already sold. So yeah, I kind of I kind of agree with you there. That there was no point. I mean, there's nothing that they have to sell. There's no one that they have to convince. I'm I'm pretty much sold that this didn't change anybody's mind. It only enhanced the idea that they should get the show. All right, give me one quick second here. Sound monkey's got to dance. Jimmy Christopher, you with us? I'm here. Ah, what's up, Jimmy? Oh, how are you guys tonight? Good so far. I'm doing great. Going a little bit earlier than originally anticipated, but it's all right. We'll go with it. Three man booth. I was just kind of sitting there listening to the show, taking up a fan's perspective. I was going to write a nice little review about you guys later, but since you had me on, it would now be unprofessional for me to do so. <laughs> and never go fully unprofessional. Just like you never go full Denzel, right, Tony? Oh, yeah, you never go full Denzel. No, I've I heard about that. Heard bad things happen. Yes. All right. So since we have a little bit of time here before we hit our time check for the first do, let's go ahead and discuss the birthday segment itself in greater detail. So that way we can give everything inside of Quick Hits its own time to shine here. Sure. Um, out of all of the guest appearances, and feel free to chime in as, as you feel necessary here, Jimmy. Out of all the guest appearances tonight during the Hulk Hogan birthday celebration, which one surprised you the most and which one did you think was the best? Surprising me, um, I don't really ever take anything as a surprise anymore, I guess. Probably Scott Hall being there and looking partially sober would probably be the biggest surprise, per se, for me, I guess. Um, but the one I enjoyed the most, I'm a huge uh, Ric Flair fan, and just being able to see him, even though, you know, he didn't do much and he was kind of, just kind of do, he was there. You know, there wasn't, you know, he got the pop that he deserved, the fans enjoyed his presence, but he wasn't really, like, 
the wow factor because then for some reason everyone went crazy for Nash and Hall and I was just, man, whatever. Tony, how um, about you? Biggest surprise out of the group there and who had your favorite interaction? I'm going to go with Paul Orndorff's mustache specifically. Um, <laughs> thought that was pretty boss. Um, no, everyone, you know, this uh, – your response, Jimmy, is a perfect response because it, it helps enhance my opinion on the nostalgia factor, which you and I talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, Harry, as well as me writing about it in terms of moments like this should be a bigger deal. Now, this in comparison to someone like Ric Flair coming out where everybody kind of has seen him numerous times, and to some it's not that big of a deal. There are a few moments tonight where I felt us as fans we're really taken back somewhere, whether it was the video package or just seeing these guys in the ring at a different age or stage in their life. And yet it was undercut due to a rush of time and to storylines that are happening currently. So in terms of surprise, unfortunately, I wasn't really surprised by anybody. Um, I liked the sentiment of certain aspects of it. But again, it just was too short-lived to last any longer than I think it should have. All right, I'm going to touch on both of my own points here now. Um, the biggest surprise for me was the fact that I had no idea Paul Orndorff was still alive. And I don't wow. mean that to be cruel. I don't mean that to be mean. I mean that in that I have not heard anything about Orndorff in years. So the fact that he was here tonight surprised me. And, yes, his mustache is boss. Okay, well, so, the way to start the segment. I'm surprised that this guy is alive. That was that was pretty fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that um, was a surprise. The, the best surprise to me, and you guys were both on the raw thread on yes as well here. You guys know what this was here. Scott Hall busting out survey time. It took me back to when I was a 12 year old kid. I said earlier in the uh, in the Raw thread that if Hall doesn't if Hall doesn't pronounce it survey time, somebody needs fired. And then a few seconds later, he actually says, it, I, "I think it's time to take a survey." And I pop like a twelve year old. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. It just and like you said too, Jimmy, seeing Hall in that condition there, seeing the fact that he's moving around without any kind of assistance. He clearly seems to be in his right frame of mind. This is not the lasting image that most fans have of Scott Hall. So it's nice to see this, just like it was nice to see Jake the Snake Roberts when Jake came back to Raw a couple months ago. For totally the agree. For the 1, Say what? So I totally agree with that. Right. So and, we should all do... And it just says... Go ahead, Tony. We should all do DDP yoga is what you're saying. Oh, yeah, no. basically what I was about to say is it's, what it is is it's one gigantic shout-out to the wonders that is DDP Yoga and the fact that Diamond Dallas Page is taking up so much time out of his life in order to help these guys get back on the straight and narrow. Too bad it's not nine ninety nine a month. Stop it. Are they paying you per show, Tony? Ironically enough, Tony's getting nine ninety nine a month for sure. Anyways, um, can you like talk on the cell phone and drink at the same time? I mean, it is just yeah. you, thankfully. But I, I figured I'd ask. Time I'm for your first duel of the evening. 
it tastes good. Okay, so um, there was a small moment at Raw where they continued Seth Rollins and Ambrose's storyline. Seth has a match. He wins. He heads up the ramp. There's a bunch of gifts for Hulk Hogan, which I'm really wondering what he got. Uh, there's a huge one that looks like a wrapped-up vending machine. And Seth, being the ever-paranoid Rollins that he is, starts looking at the gifts as if something's going to pop out of them. He thinks he's crazy, walks away, and out comes Ambrose like a crazy man just attacking Rollins. The, the segment itself worked, but I don't know, for whatever reason... I was kind of bothered by the idea that Seth was looking. I know he's been paranoid recently. I know he's been looking around and wondering where Ambrose is going to hop out next. But it kind of gave it away, if you will. You know, like, it was just, it was one of those, like, oh, I bet he's behind this door. And then he walks away, and there he is. I just think it would have been a little bit more effective, even if it was just a small percentage of effect, but a little bit more effective if Seth just walked up the ramp and then Homeboy just popped out of the present, and that was it. If that was it, I think the, the pop itself would have been bigger. I think the event would have been great. I don't know if they were just trying to prevent Collins from looking stupid, but I don't think he would have looked dumb. I think it would have just been better. So it's minor. It's minute. Still excited about the match, even though it's a lumberjack match, which bothers me. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll touch more on the lumberjack aspect of the, uh, the match between Ambrose and Rollins at SummerSlam a little bit later on in the show when we do our predictions. Jimmy, your thoughts on Ambrose deciding to uh, hide in one of Hulk Hogan's birthday gifts before jumping Seth Rollins? Um, no, I actually, I actually agree a lot with what Tony said. I didn't like the fact that he stopped and was kind of messing around with the gift. It was almost like, guess what's behind door number one? You know, it it it, it did give it away in you know my opinion and obviously Tony's. If he would have just kind of maybe walked by, and, you know, he just won a match. Why not, you know, show it off a little bit more? Like, if he were to walk to the side of the stage where his back was still turned to where Ambrose would have come out, I think it would have been a little more, you know, interesting because then it doesn't bring any attention to the box or the gift or whatever you call it. And then by the time that Ambrose rips out of it and comes running to where Rollins is, then you begin that pursuit. Then you begin that chase again that Ambrose has been so so dominant and so determined to finish. And I just felt like it took it away. Like he messed with the present, and then he goes, nah, nah, nah. And I'm like, oh, you know, I wonder if he's in there. And sure enough. And I think it just would have been better to not give it so much attention. Leave, leave that chase. Good. No, well, here's my question about this for both of you guys, since you guys are both agreeing on the fact that he shouldn't have touched the gift. Do you think him rattling the gift was Ambrose's cue? Um, it's a possibility, but there's moments like this that are easily, easily, you know, the the wrapping paper could be slightly see-through. The, you know, anybody could have done anything. That, that, um, that That's not a good enough excuse for me, basically. Yeah, I also felt like uh, there could have been any sort of cue. You know, going up and messing with the wrapping paper doesn't have to be the cue there. Why not walk by all the presents and shout the uh, top of your lungs? You know, he was, if Ambrose was in there, he would certainly hear it through the thin wrapping paper that was in front of him. He hears Rollins walk by screaming something, 
count to five, bang, come through the wrapping paper, and then chase him off. I think that would have worked a lot better than, hey, you know, what what would have happened if he was messing with that wrapping paper and it accidentally tore open, and then Ambrose is sitting there like, oh, you weren't supposed to come in here yet. And then it just it looks really bad, and I think maybe just, yeah, exactly. And I just think maybe if he were to have indicated it through a voice recognition, it would have been better. I think you almost make Tony choke when he do there. Anywho, um, I can see both sides of the argument on this here. I mean, I actually kind of like the fact that Seth is showing off a more paranoid side to his character, given the fact that Ambrose is basically threatening to stop him. Every single time he tries to cash in money in the bank or every single time he's in the arena, Ambrose has basically said that he'll be there. So I kind of like the fact that Ambrose... That's fine, but you don't want to blow the spot. That's the problem that I had with it. And I think that's the saying that Tony had... You know, yeah, let Ambrose be paranoid. That's exactly what you want him to look like, to act upon. And, yeah, if you would have, you know, done something differently, that's all I think that me and Tony were looking for instead of a full-blown giveaway to what was about to happen. You want there to be that tension, that that fear factor, let Rollins sell it a little bit more and don't get confident after he's determined that Ambrose isn't in the package. Let Ambrose be the one to destroy any confidence he has after his win over uh, RVD and then continue the pursuit. Go ahead, Tony. Well, in the grand scheme of things, it was was a minor issue. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't too bothered by it. But, yeah, realistically, it, it was just... There's another one of those things where you look at it and you're like, man, they probably could have done that differently, and it would have went really well. And that seems to be the case a lot tonight. Obviously more to come as far as the interaction and the other parts of the shows go. Um, I'm going to need you guys to buy me a few seconds here because I'm having some computer problems and it's messing with my format here. So, uh why don't we go ahead and get into the next Let's Talk About Raw segment, and we'll go into Stephanie and Bree's interaction with both. Clearly. Sorry. This bullshit. Yeah, let's talk about it for a second. Um, okay, so... Uh, you you know, guys take over for a quick second here, and I'm going to fight with my computer. Okay, don't lose. Um, yeah, obviously, Steph and Bree have a continued storyline in which they're, it started off really hot. A lot of people were happy about it took over two main event segments of Raw, um, had some outrageous arrests and everything, and they tried to tie it all together tonight just so that it could lead into the match. However, if there was ever a jump-the-shark moment of a storyline, this has got to be it. Um, even if you don't watch TNA, you don't have to make the comparisons of, of you know, Cliff Lynch or anything like that. Just as a standalone production of a storyline, it was really unnecessary, and I think that's the best word that I could use for the entire site. It was unnecessary. For whatever reason, a lot of the the uh, matches for SummerSlam were pretty much written in the stone due to Battleground um, essentially being a, uh, a three-hour Raw without storyline progression. Um, so what the WWE has done, for whatever reason, is ex- extend these storylines to the point where they're unable, they're incapable of making them interesting. That's nobody's fault but their own. 
this last little addition to the storyline of having Bryant be a supposed cheater, um, it was just completely unnecessary. The, the storyline was already set. The aggression was there. The interest was there. And they really, I think they turned a lot of people off by tonight, whether it was the comparison to TNA or just the fact that it was crappy storyline telling. We're not going to see this go any further than tonight. Um, it's just all retarded, and it, it didn't go off well for me at all. I totally agree. I felt like they could have done something much different. I felt like they could have done a lot different with a lot of what they did tonight. With the whole Bree and Stephanie issue, like you hit it on the head, Tony, once again. The whole cheating Daniel Bryan thing, the whole Bree getting arrested this time around, and it's just they're trying to keep things interesting, and, and they're killing it instead. They need to just continue what they're doing. I think they need to continue focusing on the direction they were going. Don't try and throw a curveball on the go-home show. It's unnecessary. I think that if they would have done something more along the lines of send, you know, two divas out there, you know, Stephanie comes out, she goes, oh, I'm not fighting you. I'm sending these two, you know, divas, you know, Alicia Fox and Rose or whoever, and they go out to the ring and they go to fight Bree and she overcomes the odds and wins. Then she looks strong, and then maybe have Steph go in and put a boot to her or something. Just something different to keep the storyline the same. Though. You didn't have to change anything, I think, as far as that whole angle between Bree and Steffi was. I think they had it as far as they could get it, and they just needed to kind of get a little complacent with it and just let it run the course and let them handle it at SummerSlam. Yeah, it's like a Phoenix extension on a porn star. It was just completely unnecessary and left a bad taste in people's mouths. I don't know why oh, Jesus they... Jesus Christ, Tony. <laughs> that was a great analogy, by the way. I was I was definitely holding back a laugh, too. <laughs> Thank you. No need to hold back. No, realistically speaking, it was just a... Um, I just felt it was unnecessary. And this is, this has nothing to do with burying Daniel Bryan, with hurting his character, with bringing up stuff that he can't properly defend himself, because I've seen all of that within the last hour or so. And it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with something that I say almost every week, and it's storytelling. Are they telling a good story? And this this unnecessary chapter, this, you know, it's almost like a choose-your-adventure that went wrong. Um, it's just not good. It, it was just it was unnecessary. It was pointless. The only positive aspect I could say about it is that they wrapped around the idea that Bree got arrested in comparison to Steph getting arrested. Simple callback that really just worked. Um, but it just... No, yeah, I totally agree. Once again, you're hitting it right on the head. I don't think that the whole cheating Daniel Bryan thing will even come up in the future, I don't think they'll mention it again. It's like that really bad part in a movie where you don't want to see it again, you don't want to hear about it again, you're just trying to get through it so you can get to the plot and get to the climax. And that's where SummerSlam lies. Uh, it was just a bad decision, I think, bad storytelling, and they should have just, like I said, they should have just ran the course the way it was going. You know, if they wanted to do an arrest angle with Bree, they could have. You know, they could have done anything they wanted but they went with this whole, you know, awful TNA rip-off gimmick, whatever you want to call it, and it, it it's unnecessary, and it's 
you know, I'm taking That's not words cool. out of Exactly. No, and it's, well, it's right, bad. Very, very bad. I'm back. Um, my thoughts on this are basically going to echo your guys' here. It appears to me that the only person that actually believes that that woman actually slept with Daniel Bryan was Brie Bella, which makes her come off like a complete and total moron. The announcers were completely ripping the segment apart seconds after it happened. JBL shows on the grenade as best as he could to try to protect the storyline they were telling, but even Cole was sitting there laughing during it, and you can hear him laughing. Mm-hmm. Now, I would give Cole credit. Cole has had to sell some really stupid crap. But even he knew that this one was a dog waiting to happen and need to be taken out and put down. Hopefully, we see the end of this between these two at SummerSlam. Unfortunately, and I'll get more into this in my predictions, I don't think we will. And I believe Tony might know where I'm going with this because I've made this bold prediction before here on the reaction. But we'll get more into that here a little bit later on in the show as far as predictions go. But, yeah, there was absolutely no reason, no kind of necessity at all for any of what happened tonight to actually take place, in my opinion. They'd have been better off giving this time to, like, actually letting Miz have a match or doing something to get Sandow on the show. Or Where was Bo Dallas tonight, for example? He's 21-2 and two now. That's so depressing, or whatever it was. No, I agree. Right, I wish Bo Dallas would have gotten a little bit more, or something at all, rather. And have they completely killed off the uh, the quote-unquote new nation thing? Have we seen anything since then of Kofi, Big E, and uh, Xavier Woods? Nothing oh, I've um, seen from Xavier Kofi and uh, Big E that would have any kind of indication that they're still involved with each other. Um... Yeah, I just don't think they were invited to the party. <laughs> um, maybe, and I raised this point on yes as well, maybe it's a case of them waiting until after SummerSlam so that way they could wait until they can put more of a focus on the storyline. Yeah, I would assume as That's much. I know there's rumors around that are saying that they're, they're dropping the idea. Um, <clears throat> they really haven't given it any, uh, you know, any... Shit, I don't know any actual attention other than you know the them standing ringside. So I'm not sure where they yeah. want to go. They're probably apprehensive about it because it's a racial thing, and um, I don't know. <clears throat> There's some sensitive people out there. Yeah, it definitely hasn't had any room or air to breathe at all. So I don't know if they're deciding just to let it go or what. All right, so before we continue here, I want to take this time to uh, send a quick shout-out to one of our fellow podcasts in crime here. Uh, He's not going to be joining us this evening, but I know he's listening, so... Sean Garmer is brought to you by... Wrestling to the Max! They're airing on Tuesdays now, so they're no longer immediately after us here, but if you guys are enjoying what you hear here on the Raw Reaction, you'll definitely enjoy the Wrestling to the Max podcast as well. The guys there, Sean, Paul, and Gary, do an excellent job breaking down all the details, and I'm sure that they'll be getting into their full SummerSlam preview and prediction extravaganza later on here. I'm Harry Broadhurst. I am the play-by-play voice of Real Action Pro Wrestling, as well as man of multi-talents at Black Diamond Wrestling. Jimmy Christopher, you want to go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about yourself? I am a multi-million dollar, 
absolute monarch to all the people listening to this show. I think that pretty much sums it up. I believe it. Tony, why don't you go ahead and tell them about your jobs over at 411 Mania? Um, I do the Raw Report uh, every week, except for last week, because I was being... um, (laughs) I actually joked in the Raw Report that I was... I don't know if I told you, Harry, but two weeks ago when I did the Raw Report, I compared... um, Mickey James and Nether Regions to a roast beef sandwich, and a commenter seemed to be offended by it, called me a misogynistic asshole. Um, so this week I decided to um, introduce some males to the Raw Report. So if you guys want to get your Ambrose and Roman Reigns fix on, got some nice pictures in there. I've even got boobs. Who cares if they're Big Daddy V's? They're boobs um, in, the, in the report as well. Uh, the Wrestling 5-in-1 is a weekly, you know, uh, the last time, last thing I wrote was actually something that we could talk about, not tonight, but in the future, in regards to wrestling fans and the type of, type thereof, you know. An example was the I brought my girlfriend guy, you know, the one that gives everyone a dirty look, assuming that they're looking at the girl that he brought who has absolutely no interest in what's going on until Joey Ryan sticks his cock in her face. Um, so oh my. That's, that's an example of what's in the column. Uh, <laughs> you know, Sounds like a very a, specific PWG fan. It's the greatest I don't know story I've ever heard. <laughs> There's more in the wrestling five and one. Yeah, no, it was it's totally said in jest, but at the same time, we see these characters a lot in terms of fans, and I just thought it'd be fun to pinpoint certain um, certain stereotypes of the wrestling fandom that we see every now and then. And it was a lot of fun, actually. It was it was fun and funny, so I'm excited about that. That's this week. Um, and this special yeah, columnist in the five and one this week too. Yes, yes, let's, let's not forget to mention the special guest writer who speaks about Damien Sandow um, in, uh, in regards to whether or not he's, uh, you know, <laughs> worth, worthy of getting the treatment that he's getting right now. Um, so you guys feel, feel free to write that. Uh, one more quick shout-out. There's going to be a show in, um, in, well, not in my hometown, but nearby uh, with Apex Pro, uh, Tara Calloway uh, is one of the, uh, Brian Kendrick or m- one of the more known names that will be there. Um, I help them set everything up. I work in the back. I'm the sound guy. I've done some ring announcing. Nowhere near as good as Harry, although I did eliminate someone from a Battle Royal once. Um, so I got that going for him. I have one match to my credit, so we're tied in that regard. Um, <laughs> you are listening to the Raw Reaction here on Powerhouse Radio. Raw Reaction is in association with ProWrestlingPowerhouse.com. In addition, we are brought to you by BlogTalkRadio.com. The official website, if you're not listening on Blog Talk Radio, is www.blogtalkradio.com slash PWPRadio. Uh, if you're listening live, we want to thank you for doing so. 760-885-749 to call in. More than welcome to join us. Maybe try to get like a fan's perspective on some SummerSlam predictions a little bit later on here. And guys, thanks to our friends at Wrestling for the Max. Let's get to some quick hits, shall we? Sure. Uh, Roman Reigns versus Rybaxel. Um, I like the fact that Rybaxel wasn't completely buried by getting jobbed in the handicap match, but then they got pretty much jobbed after the handicap match. Yeah, yeah, jobbing during a handicap match is pretty unacceptable, especially when one member of your team, you know, has an almost better look than the opponent. You know, I I thought that it was kind of a waste. 
I understand that they wanted to make Roman look strong going into the pay-per-view by beating two guys in one match, but I just felt like it was another one of those unnecessary moments on Raw. Um, I don't like the team of Ryback or Curtis Axel, but they serve a purpose, and tonight wasn't the purpose that they're supposed to serve. I'm not offended by it, probably because I don't like them. Um, but at the same time, it, we, you know, this is the, the last show before SummerSlam. You're going to see people lose and not make much sense of it, simply because they're trying to make someone look stronger. Next week, Ryback and Curtis Axel are probably going to win against Goldust and Stardust, and no one will care about what happened the week prior to. But at the same time, it's just, uh, you know, it was just a moment on Raw where you were like, all right, next. And that's not really what you're looking for, especially that little promo afterwards. I don't know if uh, Roman was out of breath or took a drink beforehand, but it was weird. (laughs) That dude needs a mouthpiece. (laughs) <laughs> I think one of the things is, is Roman doesn't necessarily work well in these on-the-spot interviews. He's much better in like the backstage ones where he has a chance to think over what he's going to do as well as the pre-tapes, like what they did with they were, when they were with The Shield and how he always came across so smooth-sounding when, when he was still involved with The Shield as well in their pre-tape interviews. I don't think that the in-ring interviews are going to be Roman's strong suit going forward. Well, and the problem the possibility... I oh, think because this is this is an assumption on my part, but just by looking at Roman Reigns and how he seems to carry himself really well, he's the type of person that, if given a script, cannot do it right. However, if given just a bullet point or saying talk about this, then he'll be able to find a way to do so. And I, like I said, this is just an assumption, but I saw him struggling trying to hit specific points instead of simply speaking. If you were to give me Harry, if you were to give me Tony a script for tonight, I would flub everywhere. I would fuck it up, I would go completely off the cuff, and I would eventually tear it up in front of your face and spit it at you. However, if you give me no script, if you just give us a little guideline, then it all goes a little bit smoother because we're capable of doing so. I think that he's just one of those people that doesn't need that particular sense of guidance. And every single time I see an interview with him, you could tell when he's cool, and you could tell when he's forced to be cool. And that's really unfortunate. Man, we need to get Tony a script for this show just so I can see him throw it in your face. (laughs) Thanks, Jimmy. Um, We talked a little bit about the aftermath earlier. Let's talk about the match itself. Seth Rollins and Rob Van Dam. Go ahead, Jimmy. Waiting for one of you guys here. Oh, okay. I was going to, you know, let you guys take a turn. Um... I enjoy the match. I don't really care for Rob Van Dam, but that's just a personal preference. Uh, I love Seth Rollins, obviously. He's probably my favorite of the three that came out of the Shield. And I just felt like the match went well. I thought the finish was a little slow and muffed up. And But, I mean, overall, I give the match at least a 7 out of 10 in my book. I thought it was really good. Um, yeah, the second time they've had a pretty good match. I don't know. For whatever reason, they just kind of click. Um, RVD looks noticeably older every time he gets in the ring. But, um, you know, for the most part, he's still kind of got it, uh, as, at least when he's with the right person. I don't know if it's just him slouching or, and, you know, versus him being motivated with someone as fresh or new as Seth Rollins. But if he continues to lose in a way like this, then I'm all for it. Yeah, and that's something we've discussed here on the reaction before. Having people like Van Dam around for spots like this where he can 
come in and be that named guy that people can beat in order to get a little bit of credibility. Kind of like what happened when he faced Rusev a couple weeks ago in the ring, and him and Rusev had a pretty solid little match. It's Van Dam is there to be that guy that's kind of the Chris Jericho role, but around on a more regular basis. He's there to put over the newer talent, and I'm perfectly okay with that happening. Mm-hmm. As a longtime Van Dam fan, it's still good to see him as well. It's good to see that he's still in the condition to do this. And obviously he's not wrestling because he needs the money. He's wrestling because his heart is still involved in wrestling, and that I can appreciate as well, too. We move on here with the preview of one of our one of the most talked about matches that we've had here on the reaction for SummerSlam. Let's talk about Jack Swagger and Antonio Cesaro, the, the former Ant- I keep saying Antonio. It sounds natural to say Antonio. Anyways, at least I'm not calling him Claudio on a regular basis anymore. I really liked this match. I thought that they had plenty of time to work, that everything they did in the ring made sense. The fact that Swagger did a magnificent job of selling the ribs that were injured by the flag attack by Reset last week. And in addition to the fact that even though he lost the match, he wasn't made to look like a complete, Cesaro wasn't made to look like a complete joke. Yeah, tonight uh, the match definitely had a lot of time. I I definitely noticed that first off. I felt like maybe he didn't, Swagger himself didn't get enough in, though. I felt like Cesaro, with as much momentum as he had throughout the whole match, should have come away with a win there. Or at least, you know, he looked much stronger than Swagger did. And then the finish kind of scared me because I thought Cesaro was going to die. Other than that, you know, it was a good match, another 7 out of 10. Yeah, I got a question, Cesaro taking that face bump off of the top rope like that. That just seemed kind of unnecessary. There were other ways to bring him down, especially given the fact that Swagger's like hurting light. Wouldn't he have been able to like do the rope run into the belly-to-belly throw or something at least? That's what I was anticipating. I thought it was going to be a nice easy belly-to-belly over the top, do a nice flip bump, and then maybe have Cesaro feed around into something, and then he almost died. And it very much scared me. Yeah, but it was only so your thoughts cool. on Swagger. Um, <laughs> no, it was a little scary, but I thought it was a, a cool spot. Um, I'm hoping. I mean, Cesaro is one of those guys that I would, I would believe falling off of a building could protect himself just because he's Cesaro. But no, the match was um, it was pretty badass. I, I think it worked well. I think they worked it well. Um, you know, we could complain about Cesaro not getting an entrance and what happened to him and his push and all that stuff, and but. Like I said earlier, this is the Raw before SummerSlam. You're going to see some people lose. Um, and this guy lost in a way that was way better looking than, you know, say Heath Slater. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the, yeah, I got nothing bad to say about the match. It was great. They worked it right. They, they focused on Swagger's, uh, you know, ribs. He was hurt. So it, it kind of makes sense, Cesaro getting a little more offense. I do believe that Cesaro looked way stronger throughout the entire match. Um, but, you know, Ruth is supposed to be stronger, too, so maybe they're going for that. I don't want to give him too much credit, but we'll just assume that that was the case. So, yeah, this is another positive match. And then we finish our talk on the quick hit segment here with Randy Orton and the returning Sheamus. Is it just me, or did Sheamus look a lot lighter coming back from being away for almost three weeks? A lot lighter? Lighter, as in thinner, like skinnier. Uh, I don't think the guy could get much whiter. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm not sure whiter's in his playbook. You never know, man. It might be see-through. 
Um, I didn't notice any weight loss, but I wasn't really paying much attention to the match um, other than what was going on, literally. Um, so, But if he is a little leaner, then, you know, why the hell not? Good for him. Unless, of course, it's some sort of diverticulitis of some sort. Um, the match itself was started off a little slow, kind of boring for me. I mean, how many times have these people wrestled each other in the last year or so? Someone wrote 98. Is that even true? I don't know. I think you would know more than me, Harry, but I'm assuming it's somewhat true, um, you know, at least close to that number. So you kind of saw what was going to happen and how it was going to happen and when it was going to happen, especially considering I write a raw report. So a lot of it was kind of like average. But the ending was good, and like I wrote in the report, you got a, another pretty badass RKO to add to the slideshow of badass RKOs. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, the finish was great. Uh, the finish was great. That's probably my favorite part of the match. It flowed really well, though. The whole match just it seemed to go a lot smoother than I guess I expected it to. I have always liked when Sheamus and Orton were in the ring together, uh, and tonight was you know another uh, insert for that. I I just think that tonight uh, the the show was great, but the Randy Orton Sheamus match is probably my personal favorite of the night, I guess. I'm a big Orton fan. I thought that he'd been gotten stale a little bit recently, and tonight he just kind of came out and, you know, he did what he does best, and he went out and put on a good show, and I'd probably give this match an 8.5 out of 10. I really enjoyed the match, too. I think a lot of it is is that Sheamus' whole moveset came off fresh because he had been off TV for a while. And I think this is something that's been discussed before about giving wrestlers time off on occasion, like having them giving certain guys like a month or two months off in order to refresh and recharge their batteries. And I think Sheamus is a prime example, even though he was out for a medical reason. I believe I remember reading that he had a really bad case of the flu that put him down and out for this long. And just seemed more refreshed, he seemed more revised, and the moveset came off like we were seeing it again for like the first time, if that makes sense, rather than it being the old same old Sheamus match that we've seen every week on Raw and SmackDown. That makes sense to you guys? Yes. Totally. All right, so do you think there's anything, too, to giving the wrestlers a couple months off a year, like kind of an off-season like they have in most of the other major sports? Um, yeah, I've actually written about it before. I think it's a good idea, not just for the health of the wrestlers, but also for um, storyline progression, for lack, uh, for the uh, the ability to feign staleness, and just in general uh, a sort of rotating, um, you know, not list but group of guys that will, you know, they'll show up on particular times, and and it doesn't have to. It could be storyline driven. It could be just out of nowhere. But it, there's many ways that could go about it that would save these guys years on their life and us years of boredom that we wish we had back. Yeah, I'm uh, all about having an off season. Yeah, you know, I'm all, I'm all about having an off season. You know, I'm a big sports buff outside of wrestling, and without an off season, I just feel like stuff can get really stale. Guys are the better risk of getting hurt. And they just kind of don't enjoy work as much. You know, this is also their profession. You have to remember that. And being able to have some time off and see their family and their friends and just kind of be themselves outside of the, you know, the sports entertainment world, I think it makes them, you know, just happier. And that's kind of how I see that. 
Yeah, I think there's definitely something to doing the off season in pro wrestling, like giving certain guys a couple months off here and here and there in order to help them recharge. Like the very first person that comes to my mind when I was starting to say that is a guy like a Damian Sandow who's having to deal with everything that Sandow's having to deal with professionally in the way that his character is being handled right now. And then you're telling me that a couple of months off of TV wouldn't do Sandow some good at this particular moment? Just the thought that comes to mind for me as far as that goes. You look a little parched over there, Tony. Yeah, buddy. Let's hit the second deal. Yeah, so what's with this bullshit about AJ losing on the damn Raw, man? No. Uh, oh, oh, I knew this was coming. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. Um, <laughs> I'm shocked it took this long, Jimmy. Uh, so uh, AJ... I'm, I was hoping I came in after it was done. AJ Lee faces the second worst diva on the roster. I believe she's a little better than Cameron. Um, she gets distracted. Come on. AJ does not get distracted. This is bullshit. Paige comes down, skips around the ring. AJ gets beaten by a roll-up, and Eva Marie now has a win on her record. Just unnecessary. Um, okay, if I could get serious for a minute, uh, I thought it was fine. Um, Please do landstorm. AJ, AJ, AJ losing wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I mean, I can say it's a huge deal, especially because the distraction seems so minimal. Like, it wasn't... She shouldn't be distracted by someone skipping around the, the ring. We've seen her go through worse, the character. Um, it should have been something bigger than this. And, uh, you know, we've seen this too many times recently. Uh, we saw Miz trying to distract Dolph and just, you know, not too much longer into the show. I mean, there's ways around this, and they just go for this lazy booking. Back to what I said about Brie and Steph, this storyline has, has been going steadily, and it seems like they, they feel they just need to go above and beyond the day before SummerSlam, when that's not necessarily true. It's just the fact that they threw a fucking pay-per-view between the beginning of the build and now. Um, so it didn't come off all that great to me, not just because she's AJ, but if it was anybody else, it just seems like such a small thing to be distracted by. It would have made more sense, and it would have been just as effective if AJ got distracted, got rolled up, got a two-count, still won the match, and got pissed off. But um, the, only, the only saving grace here was when AJ mounted Eva Marie, and thank sweet baby Jesus, I was able to find a, a, a moving graphic of it, which is also in the Raw Report if you want to see that. It's a beautiful oh, thing. God. Oh, Tony, I'm not surprised by any of this, Jimmy. Uh, his level, of, his level of obsession with AJ has his level of obsession with AJ has passed the point of surprising me anymore. So. Uh, while we're on the subject, did you guys notice that there were two poems in Raw? It's amazing. I was waiting for the epic rap battle between, uh, who was it, <laughs> Heyman and Paige. I would just like to point out that I think Tony's Raw report actually po- posed it best. Did they hire one of the writers of Shakespeare in love? <laughs> yeah, that was me. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good there. Um, all right, it looks like we're going to be heading into a quick commercial break here. Once we come back here, it'll be time for Harry's hit, and then we'll go into the third do for the evening. And then finally, instead of we do our Let's Talk About Raw, the last segment that we do for tonight, let's talk about SummerSlam. Your SummerSlam predictions coming up right after this. You are listening to The Raw Reaction on Powerhouse Radio and blogtalkradio.com. 
Tony, play some music. Oh, you want me to play it? All right, sure. I'm sorry, guys. I was already over here pausing everything. Oh, baby! That is the name of the show, right? Yeah, The Raw Reaction. 
Um, yeah. So, um, we got everybody on the line? Is everyone here? Am I talking to myself? You can talk to yourself. It'll probably be more entertaining. Yeah, I do that quite a bit. Uh, I believe Harry's working on something, so we'll just continue on with the show. Um, in regards to the Raw that we saw, I wanted to talk specifically about um, Heath Slater, who last week won a surprise match and kind of set the crowd into a tizzy of awesomeness. They were really elated by the idea that basically a Zack Ryder-level superstar got a win over someone who's in a arguably high-profile match um, at SummerSlam. So what I wanted to talk about was that this week he, he won a match again, and during the match, as well as afterwards, the crowd was really, really happy about it. I think it was just one of those classic underdog tales that the crowd could get behind regardless of, you know, he, um, people liking, disliking him, or whatever it may be. So I was, I was really surprised. Well, let me first say that I don't like Heath Slater. <laughs> um, in terms of a wrestling fan, I, didn't find, I haven't found him appealing. Um, I thought he was annoying and not in the way that he's supposed to be. I thought that, you know, as a wrestler, um, he was just subpar, below average. And I'm talking from NXT all the way to 3MB. Like, I just didn't find any interest in the guy. But I did have a problem with tonight. Um, after he won... Ziggler gave him a zigzag um, for presumably no reason. Uh, Ziggler's supposed to be a face. He could have, you know, they could say he's just showing frustration or giving Miz a sign or whatever it may be, but this killed any momentum that Heath Slater may have had. And I'm not saying that it was a big deal, but it was just an example of, of how they've done this before. Um, it brought me back immediately to the hooligans, Brian Kendrick and um, Paul London, getting pedigreed by Triple H for seemingly no reason. Um, and and, and there's, I'm sure there's numerous other, other examples that you guys could think of where they undercut someone who's getting over by, arguably, by their own actions, really. And Heath Slater wasn't going to become something huge, but I have a feeling that they've already stuck a fork in what could have been some sort of momentum to create a new character or a character that people were having interest in simply for the sake of what? I don't, I don't know. So I thought it was kind of bothersome to me. All right, I have two points to touch on there, Tony. And I'm back. Thanks, by the way, for covering for me there. I had an issue with, with the computer again. I don't know what it is tonight, but we are just not having fun on the technical side of things. I have two comments as to what you just said about the Heath Slater thing there. One, what was the point of putting Heath Slater in there with a baby face tonight to begin with? especially given the, crowd reaction, the crowd's reaction to his match last week with Seth Rollins. Two, and this is more so what you pointed out about what happened rather than anything during the match itself, he later tried to kick Dolph Ziggler during the handshake, and Ziggler caught the kick and spun him into the zigzag. Mm, that's a good point. So technically speaking, Slater kind of started it. <laughs> But regards to, uh, in regards to your statement there about Slater, I think there could have been something there with Slater. Just, I don't understand the point of putting him in there with a baby face tonight and somebody that you know the crowd is going to cheer on a guy like Dolph Ziggler. Why not put him in the ring against a guy like Rusev, who has the big match with SummerSlam and was barely seen on Raw at all tonight? Mm-hmm. Let him have a chance to maybe build up some more of that baby face momentum there and face a guy like Rusev, who's on fire right now in the, start, in the hot angle he has going on with Swagger rather than putting him out there against a guy that you know the fans are going to cheer for over him, given the reaction that he got last week against Rollins. Jimmy, your thoughts? 
Um, yeah, I I didn't like that they put him in there with the face. I would have liked to see maybe Bo Dallas get a piece of him. Maybe, you know, Rusev was a good uh, option as well. I just felt like they blew the chance to maybe push Slater face and maybe even develop his, a new face character for him. And that was just really disappointing. Because I, I don't hate Slater. I think, obviously, if he was the one out of the three that didn't get the pink slip, then obviously he's doing something right. And it's worth keeping around, so why not do something with him? I mean, you're already completely destroying what was Cesaro's push. So, I mean, it just it just goes to show that the WWE may not... I don't know if it's just that they don't have a plan for people or if they just don't care to have a plan for people. Do you think it's possible that it's a case of, like, what happened with Sandow and with Zack Ryder of a guy getting over on his own accord and the fact that Slater found himself in a situation with Rollins last week where he was supposed to be cannon father and the crowd really took to him, and then they're like, no, this can't happen. No, no, back to the card, back to the bottom of the card with you, Jobber. I just, I don't know how I feel about that because you put him in there with arguably one of your top heels last week in Seth Rollins, and the people cheer for him. Well, obviously they're going to cheer for him over Seth Rollins, who you pushed and prodded into being that top heel. And then when they cheer for him, you're going to suddenly, you know, shit on him. It just it doesn't make much sense to me. And this week he goes out, and yeah, he got put over Ziggler in a distraction finish and whatever with the 10 count. And then they try to do the whole angle where they have him fight him off or try to, you know, kick him or whatever. He catches the kick, spins him into the zigzag. And I just didn't understand it. Ziggler came back into the ring. Him and Slater were trash talking. Ziggler offered his hand. Slater tried to kick Ziggler. Ziggler caught the foot, spun him around, and hit him with the zigzag. Yeah, I I didn't get that in the least bit. By the way, Tony, better late than never here. Still tastes so good. And, you know, I mean, as far as Heath Slater goes, like, I mean, I've said it, what, three times already, you're going to see people lose on the way to SummerSlam, especially if they don't really matter. Um, I guess what bothers me the most, and you are right, and I do stand corrected, it wasn't just a random zigzag out of nowhere. Um, I guess I just forgot. But in terms of Heath Slater as a character, it was just an example of WWE's inability to create new stars. Um, I've heard... You, we hear different things from everywhere. Either they don't have the, they have nothing for them. They're afraid of how quickly they're growing. There's not, they're not able to produce a storyline for them in which they could grow. We have three hours every Monday, two hours every Friday, various amount of hours throughout the week with NXT and main event and all this other stuff. They have the time, they have the resources, they have the capability. They just can't put all of it together. I mean, how many times do we need to see recaps on a show? How often do we need to see repetition over and over again? And you know the whole 999 thing? The reason why they're doing it is so that the crowd will chant it, thereby being it placed in their mind. Even us who complain about it, um, it's there. I'm making jokes about it tonight. You know, they have, this, they have the, the intelligence enough to manipulate the crowd into what they want, but they just always force it in the wrong direction. No, I'm completely with you, Tony. It's a case of they have the resources, they have the potential to be putting on even better shows than the ones that they put on, and it's just a 
apparently they take a liking to cutting people off at the knees. As you said, exactly what happened tonight with Heath Slater. Um, a little bit out of order, but it's time for Harry's hit. Here comes up. Here comes up. Here comes up. Harry's hit. All right, so long-time listeners of the reaction know that my favorite wrestler is Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho and Bray Wyatt had the sit-down interview tonight that Michael Cole was kicked out of like four seconds into, thus making it the greatest Michael Cole interview of all. No, I'm kidding. I'm, that was JBL's line for it. But I liked it and I didn't like it. And the reason I say that is I liked the interaction that Bray had, but Jericho's interaction from it seems a little bit forced. And the reason I say that is I like the fact that Jericho, that uh, Bray Wyatt brought up the fact that Jericho's father was relatively famous, because he is, for fans who don't know, Jericho's father is Ted Irvine. He is a former National Hockey League player. And him playing along the lines of something like that where his father would be disappointed that Jericho didn't want to follow in his footsteps is something that realistically speaking, would strike me as a, a role that Bray would want to touch on. Now, what I didn't quite care for is I didn't quite care for Jericho's response, the many faces to Chris Jericho answer there. We have seen different incarnations of Chris Jericho, but you would think, though, we wouldn't be worrying about seeing the different incarnations of Chris Jericho. We would be worrying about seeing the, the incarnation of Chris Jericho that wants to kick Bray Wyatt's ass on Sunday. And for all of the talking that Jericho did about it, it just didn't work for me. Uh, your guys' thought on the Jericho-Wyatt interaction. Jimmy, go ahead and go first here. Uh, it felt like it maybe just didn't get enough time. I would have liked just a little bit more, a little bit something to put it over the top. And it's, it's always my thing with these types of interviews. Like they sit down, they're face-to-face, and nothing really said to me, this is it. This is the last time they meet face-to-face before SummerSlam. And it's, it doesn't... It, I need that extra... Um, and I need that extra something, and it just wasn't there for me tonight. I thought what they said and how they went about what they did was good, but it just it didn't reach where I thought it could have and probably should have. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I'm going to go ahead and co-sign the idea where it seemed really minimal. It was a beautiful idea with average execution. Um, you know, I, I like that Jericho essentially smirked after Wyatt did his long diatribe of nothingness. Um, the idea is there. Uh, Wyatt is a character who has so much to give and so much more to, to, to latch on to, but they're not giving it to us. Instead, they're giving us repetition after repetition. There's only so many words that he can use without saying the same thing. And I'm a huge supporter of him. I type out his stuff word for word most of the times in the report because it's very intriguing as a character study, as a person in a fiction world. Um, <clears throat> the issue the issue is the foil. You know, your good guy is only as good as the bad guy. And when your good guy is Jericho, you got a lot of shit you got to pull up with because if you're not at Jericho's level, you come off as second rate. And that's what Wyatt's coming off of, especially now. Um, so there, there's a minor issue there where it's great. Jericho was funny. He said he's going to follow the buzzers and shove them down Wyatt's throat. It was a good retort, but it wasn't enough. And, and I'm totally going to co-sign with the idea that there was no boom. There was no 
final statement. There was like it was like the end of the, the Walking Dead where he said butt instead of you know ass or oh no what did he say they're messing with instead of fucking with. It was just like you, 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 one word or one statement could have really given this something some 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 semblance of credence and they were unable to do it. That being said, I still think that Jericho and Wyatt have the chance to be the sleeper match of the night at SummerSlam. Um, hopefully they get enough time. And speaking of SummerSlam, are you guys ready to do our predictions here? Yes. <laughs> All right, let's get no. to it. It's time for let's talk, about Raw, let's talk about SummerSlam, the SummerSlam predictions episode. By the way, Tony, just to remind you, I'm up two to one. Yeah, well, let's see that by you. Uh, subscription to the WWE Network. Bang! You want to you want to bet nine ninety nine on this week's on this week's show? We do. Did that you see Hulk Hogan's cake? Hulk Hogan's Say cake what? had three candles. Hulk Hogan's cake had three candles. Nine, nine, nine. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> All right, Intercontinental Title on the line. The Miz defends against Dolph Ziggler. Tony, go ahead and go first here. Um, they brought back a lot of um, fireworks for uh, Miz's return. I don't see him losing the belt. Um, this hasn't been built up too badly, actually, so it should be, at the very least, a good match. I don't know what they want to do with Miz. I don't know if they care. I don't know if he cares. It's really weird to see him, his character go from Wrestler of the Year on 410mania.com to what he is now. So I think the only one interested in his character right now is him. Um, with that respect, I think he's going to take the belt. I don't think he's going to lose it to Dolph, at least not right now. Yeah, Jimmy? there's no way that Miz loses this one, not by a long shot, or at least right now. Um, I think with the return he did make, and because he is the multifaceted, you know, media champion right now, I just feel like right now they could probably run it further than it is, and I feel like that's what they're planning on doing until he at least has to worry about the production of his next big movie or whatever. I think Miz is going to run the Hollywood Miz character until Batista comes back from Guardians of the Galaxy. Never. And I do think Batista will be back from Guardians of the Galaxy. And Never. I think that, that when Batista comes back and he's going to question the... Uh, the fact that this Miz character is loosely based on him. And it's going to get Miz into some heat with Batista as far as storyline-wise goes, and I think that's what's going to end up happening. So what the movie stars? Is The Rock going to come back and be the special guest ref? I think they'd like The Rock to come back and be the special guest ref. Oh, God. We continue on here and... We continue on here, and Tony, this is your forte, so I'll let you go first here. AJ Lee defends the women's title, the Divas title, whatever. It's the belt for the ladies against Paige. AJ Lee, AJ Lee wins in a five-star affair full of the most technical wrestling you've ever seen. Beauty personified right there. This is the best match on the card by far. Can we now return you to your standard out of his mind, Tony Nassaro. Uh Jimmy, who you got? Wow. Um, best part, best match on the card, that's a lie. Um, but <laughs> it's still real to him, you know, damn it. Don't make a prediction. <laughs> listen, Tony and I, we can 
we can argue about that later, though, so that's okay. Um, no, I I look forward to this match a lot, but I I, I think that you know after all the falsies and everything goes through, because I really do think this is going to get the time that it deserves, being that these two are probably the best divas on the roster by far. I mean, just in line by far. I'm not trying to shit on Natty. Natty's a great worker, but I think, and I don't want to say this because I don't want her to be mad at me if she ever happens to listen to this podcast, but she's getting old. She's past what prime she did have, and she was too busy dancing and kissing the collie and whatever. But I think right now these two are the two that are going to carry that Divas division to the next level. And I think that AJ will retain uh, the title, though. I think we're in store for one title change at this particular SummerSlam. You shut your horn on my predictions here. We're in store Uh-oh. for one title change at this SummerSlam, and this is it. Paige gets back the title Uh-oh. because I think there's more to do right now with a heel Paige on top than there is with a babyface AJ Lee. The money's hey, in the case, hey, Tony. AJ Lee is so bad that she lost to Eva Marie, and Eva Marie still rolled out of the ring injured long enough for AJ to attack her in five minutes. That's how good she is. She Please, lost to a roll-up and Eva Marie hearing. was hurt. Harry, do you see what you start? We're moving on to the next match now, so that way I don't have to listen to the last <laughs> 15 minutes of this. Roman Reigns and Randy Orton. I think Orton goes over here, only because I think that he's too stubborn a person, out of character, to put over Roman again, after he did so in Evolution twice. Uh, I think it's a fantastic match. I think that Randy is going to go out there and do everything he can because it's SummerSlam. Uh, Roman is going to go out. Uh, I think, obviously, the hype for this match is there, which is why I don't think it will be as good as everyone thinks it will. And I hate saying that as a Orton fan. But Orton goes over here. Uh, Tony, um. you got... AJ Lee is the phenomenal. Oh Jesus <laughs> Christ! <laughs> no, I think uh, I think Roman Reigns is going to win. He's the he's the poster boy. He's the one that's coming up, and uh, I think this is going to be one of the situations where Orton's not going to have a say. Um, I like to give him as much you know credibility as an adult, but every single time we see something about him, he's you know calling a fan Miss Piggy or shitting in people's bags or I mean I don't know, oh. man. He needs like a he needs like a really long hug. Um, but in terms of the, the 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 match itself, Reigns is the dude, man. He's not. He's not. How is he going to lose? You know, like there's there's really no one else except for Triple H, which is the match that I think should have happened at SummerSlam. Um, my question so is, you know, what happens? That seems like such a backward move. Um, Nine of Champions isn't really all that big of a deal by comparison. But anyways, in terms of Reigns, what next? You know, you're saying Triple H at Nine of Champions. I, I don't see any progression for what could possibly happen. You know, it kind of petered out a little bit. But, yeah, I don't see I don't see Reigns losing at all. Yeah, I'm with Tony here. I have Roman Reigns in this match, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Orton's kind of in the doghouse for <laughs> dogging it in matches at the house shows with, uh, with Roman Reigns. So I think it's going to... 
I think it's going to end up being a case here of they need to see just how over and just how ready Roman Reigns really is. And while I think this match is going to be an excellent well, I think this match is going to be an excellent indication of it. I don't think that Randy Orton's really going to get any kind of a say so one way or another. Rather, he has to put Reigns over. I think Reigns is going to win this match. All right. Well, I clear the fog out of my throat. Lumberjack match. Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins. Uh, Jimmy, go ahead and go first here. I said it last week, and I'll say it again this week. This is the most anticipated match at SummerSlam. I don't care what anyone says about Cena or Lesnar. People were crying that they didn't beat this match at the last pay-per-view, and there's a reason. It's because people want to see these two go at it. These are two of the top athletes, pure athletes and workers in the WWE right now, and there's no doubt in my mind these guys are going to go out there and put on a show. Do I think this is the end of their little feud? No. There's no way they're going to finish it with a lumberjack match. Um, but this will be the best match on the card, bar none, and uh, Rollins is going over because he's the man with the briefcase. <laughs> I uh, love it. Tony, who you got? Um, shit, this is a tough one. Um, I, I, I do agree that it, it's got a lot behind it, and a lot of people are clamoring to see it. I didn't complain at all that they didn't fight at Battleground because I thought that it was a progression of a storyline that's actually being told well for the most part. Um, so, uh, yeah, like, like I, I'm, I'm really excited to see it. I'm really disappointed that it's a lumberjack match, but if any two wrestlers can make it happen, it's these two. Um, I'm hoping that it doesn't come into play as much as they want it to, just because these guys doing a regular wrestling match would be just as good. I don't know what they're trying to do in regards to making it a lumberjack match. I heard... Cole say, oh, they've screwed over a lot of people throughout the last year and a half or so. You know, we don't know who's going to be on whose side and this and that or whatever. But this thing should be self-contained, and bringing other wrestlers into it doesn't do anything for me. Um, as far as the winner goes, I'm going to go with Rollins because I think that it's not done. I think that there's plenty more to be told, and I think that as long as Rollins has that briefcase, this is one of the most simultaneously intriguing and easiest stories to tell. Uh, yet another match where all three in agreement. I think Seth Rollins wins here. And actually the thing that Cole mentioned about the fact that they've made a lot of enemies makes that the perfect reason for them to use the wall of human flesh, as Ambrose, Ambrose phrased it, to keep make sure that Seth Rollins doesn't try to run away from Dean Ambrose. That being said, I have the funny feeling that the authority and corporate Kane are going to plant plenty of henchmen for Seth Rollins' side at ringside and maybe buy off the appropriate people as well in order to make sure that Rollins picks up the win here. And I, as well as you guys, I don't think that this is going to be the end for these two, and especially with four words coming up in two months. Hell in a Cell in October. Mm-hmm. Make it I think that's going to... I think that's going to be Uh-oh. the grand blow-off for these two, and the best way to continue telling this story right now is for Rollins to pick up a cheap victory. We move on to the second of the two stipulated matches for this particular show, the flag match. Rusev takes on Jack Swagger. Tony, go ahead and go first. Um, this is probably Swagger's match to win. Um, I know that, I mean, it's kind of difficult. Like, you want to keep Rusev strong, but the way that the story is being told it's like it's Swagger's to lose. I, I have noticed that Swagger's gotten in a bit more action on the route to SummerSlam than Rusev has, 
Um, I, th- I think that's interesting. Now, a flag match, I mean, you know, the, the specifications of the rules are what? You grab your flag and that's it? Or is there a pinfall and submission in here? And I'm asking, like, literally, I don't know. Um, I, the last um, time I saw they, flag... Uh, Zeb Coulter mentioned that he would have to put his shoulders down. So I, I believe this is pinfall submission. The winner gets to wave the flag center ring. Okay, so has nothing to do with anything except for a flag. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. So, well, in that case, yeah, I just uh, – it, it, it this kind of depends on where they go next. Swagger, this is the only thing that he's got going for him. You know, anything anything after this is either going to be more elusive or he's going to go back down to the card where he was before, um, which is a shame, but that's just what I see them doing. Rusev, I'm not sure what they're doing with either. So either they prolong this or they end it, and it kind of depends on who wins. If Swagger wins, it's kind of the kind of the fork in it, you know, it's done. But if Rusev wins, then they can continue. So I guess that's me talking in a circle. Welcome to it. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and pick. I'm gonna pick Swagger. Uh, Jimmy, who you got? I'm going to pick Swagger here. Uh, I just think that with the momentum he has, uh, he's beaten Cesaro, what, twice in two weeks. He just looks good right now, and uh, I'm a big fan of his. I love the storyline and how they've developed it so far. And I just think maybe the match type almost, well, it doesn't really favor him per se, but I think with with the with the kick that Rusev loves to do, the half-calf, uh, and Swagger's ankle walk, I think it's only a matter of time until Rusev ends up tapping out. So I'll pick Swagger here. I'm torn on this match. And I said earlier in the year when we were doing the predictions for Battleground, it was me and Sean Garmer telling us the episode before Battleground, and I said to Sean that Rusev goes over dirty at Battleground and then Swagger gets his win back at SummerSlam. I think the WWE has to realize what they have with Rusev right now. As hot the topic as it is, the issues with Russia overseas right now is going to be something that's going to get them the mainstream attention that they desperately desire. And for that reason alone, I think Rusev wins on Sunday. We carry on with the second of the two women's matches at the show, Stephanie McMahon and Brie Bella. Can I vote for a nobody gives a crap after what happened on Raw tonight? <laughs> I mean, you can. Tony, go ahead. Uh, this thing started off pretty damn good. And then they gave it another main event segment, had cops involved and arrests. And, you know, Steph, for what it's worth, she she does great being a you know a heel that rubs shit in their face. But I don't know. I don't think anything could have saved tonight. Bree wins. Um, I don't see Steph winning this thing at all. And just like a McMahon, she's more than happy to lose to progress the storyline. Um, I don't know where it goes after this. I I like that they're keeping Brian in the spotlight. I don't like that the spotlight is colored with crap. But um, yeah, Bree's gonna win. I, I'm intrigued. Remember last time we talked here, you kind of said that um, it's, uh, you know, Steph, well, any McMahon, is, they put on good matches, surprisingly, so I'm interested to see how they come about a, a Brie win here, but I'm going to go with Brie. <clears throat> yeah, they're never technical masterpieces, but they're always entertaining. 
Uh, Jimmy, who you got? Steph or Bree? I'm going to take Bree here. I'm not sure exactly how they're going to play it out because uh, I just don't trust the McMahon element, I guess. But I don't see them not putting Bree over here at SummerSlam. I'm uncertain. And it's like you guys said, McMahon aren't above taking losses to further storylines or make the workers actually look strong. So I'm going to go with Bree. I'm going to stand alone here yet again. I'm picking Stephanie. And it's the same thing I said a couple weeks ago here when I said that I had a major bombshell prediction to drop on the reactions. Nikki turns on her sister, and we actually get the Bella versus Bella feud. All right. Honestly, probably the match I'm looking forward to the most here, Jericho and Bray Wyatt. Jimmy, why don't you go ahead and go first? Okay, I'll go first. Um, <laughs> yeah, go, go ahead and go first. Yeah, uh, yeah, Jericho and Bray Wyatt. I, I think that, uh, geez, I don't know. This this is another one that just baffles me because I don't know where they're going with it, and I don't mean that in a good way. Uh, I like being surprised, but it seems like instead of progressing naturally, they just kind of hit walls. Jericho won the last time they, you know, they went one on one. If Jericho wins again, that presumably ends the feud. Um, and this is a feud that, you know, may want to end um, with, because they haven't added anything new. And this is my problem with a lot of the storylines going, is that there, there's no new fold. And anything new that they did add, it just cracked. But in terms of Wyatt and Jericho specifically, um, if Jericho wins, that's two wins in a row, I don't see it continuing. Um, if Wyatt wins, then he's got something to boast about. And he desperately needs it because he's lost to Cena, he's lost to... You know, Jericho, like, what's oh. next? Who's next? So, um, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Wyatt and assume that this thing isn't quite done yet. I'll take Jericho here. Um, with the lack of momentum that Wyatt has right now, like you see, he lost to Cena, he lost to Jericho last time. There's nothing right now that makes anybody or me believe that Wyatt's going to come out on top here. I just don't know if they've decided that they're going to, you know, stop pushing him forward or what the deal is. But I, I'm i not sold on Wyatt right now, and I'll go ahead and say Jericho. Uh, Jimmy, you sat in for the reaction last week with me when Tony had his situation where he was in Vegas and unable to be a part of the show. Do you remember me mentioning the fact that I think that we de- debut a new member of the Wyatt family at SummerSlam? I do remember that. I think it happens, and I think it's what leads to Wyatt getting the victory. Really? The only question, the only question to me, and we raised this question here on the reaction last week as well, is who down in NXT makes the most sense? Because realistically speaking, there's nobody down there that makes a ton of sense. But maybe it's somebody that's been beaten and broken down. Maybe somebody like a Damian Sandow. The intellectual savior joining Bray Wyatt, the patriarch. I don't know about that one, Harry. I think you're barking up the wrong tree, buddy. I still think someone does it, though, because it's just... 
it makes no sense here to have Jericho go over again. And the reason I say that is because Jericho already has a win over Wyatt, and Jericho has stated multiple times before that his job now that he's back with the com- when he comes back with the company is to make sure that he establishes the new generation, which is something that a lot of the guys didn't do for him when he was first coming into the company. And the best way for him to do that would be to give Wyatt a victory here. Convincing you know, or not I mean, becomes the question. The um, the idea of Sandow, it's first of all, it's crazy. But I mean, we've seen a biscuit and gravy loving, mentally deficit person go straight edge and become relatively intelligent in the course of a week. So I guess it's not impossible. And now he's involved in a bullet club. I don't know if you were aware of that or not. <laughs> Crazy. Anyways, let's get to the main event here. We're running a little bit low on time, so we're obviously going to have to go into overrun here tonight, so make sure you stay tuned. If you're listening live, you're going to have to check out the the delayed airing that goes on to Blog Talk Radio after the show there. If you are listening on demand afterwards, then you'll be able to you'll be able to listen through going forward. Anyways, I don't know what the hell I'm saying here. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a moment today. Just whatever. Anyway, the main event is John Cena, Brock Lesnar for the WWE World Heavyweight title. I already said earlier tonight that I think there's only one title change tonight, and I stand by that statement. I think, unfortunately, Cena retains, and the reason Cena retains is because we don't know what kind of schedule we're going to get with Lesnar. We know Lesnar is working Night of Champions, but what's he going to be available for after that? And I don't think they want to take the title away from the company for an extended period of time like what they had happen with The Rock. Um, I'm going to go with Brock winning. I'm going to go with being okay with not seeing the champion every week. I'm not going to sign... uh, Greg DeMarco's idea of the reality of you having to pay for your champion via the network or via, you know, whatever it may be in terms of monetary gain or just realistically like he's a a, uh, a prized possession in which you will not see all the time. However, um, <coughs> excuse me, however, what I will say is that I'm okay with not seeing Brock on a weekly basis mainly because this is their opportunity to build other people up. Um, if you don't have your title as the focal point of the show, then you have to focus on other things. They are in dire need of people other than John Cena, um, and this is a this is a perfect opportunity to do so. Um, and then you also have the saving grace that is Paul Heyman. Just because Brock isn't there every week doesn't mean his mouthpiece isn't there every week, and it's very easy for Heyman to say he only comes on big you know big nights, big pay per views, whatever. It may piss us off, we may not like it, but you know what? He's a heel. We're not supposed to like it. And I think it's something that they haven't done in a long time, something that I haven't seen, at least in my, you know, in my wrestling fandom. And I'm interested to see how they could pull it off. I'm going to go ahead and uh, stay with Super Cena on this one. I just think that right now I don't trust Lesnar more than I can throw him. I love Heyman. I think that he is easily the best mic piece that's ever stepped foot in a ring. However, right now, with I know the Lesnar's under contract, and so he'll be there more often, but it's like Harry said, I just don't trust the man. I don't trust the schedule that he'll put himself on, and I don't like a world title going part-time and only showing up once in a while. I think that devalues it, 
and you don't need your top title being devalued at this point where they're trying to make money instead of lose more money. And that's the exact point that I'm making there, is that in the current time that they're having, especially with the stock hits that have been happening because of the relative failures in regards to the amount of subscribers to the network that they have and haven't been getting there, I don't think there's any reason to take your champion away, to take away a valuable marketing asset in the championship itself with the lineage that it has going all the way back into the 60s and 70s. There's just absolutely well, you know no what? point for that. You both speak logic. It's upsetting. Uh, I think that's going to. Do we think anything's going to be added to the SummerSlam card between now and Sunday? Well, I, I apologize for nothing. <laughs> As you shouldn't. No, I, I, I saw that the Usos are going to have an open invitation for the tag team championship. Um, I don't really know who's going to show up because I don't think many people even saw. But <laughs> but they're at least doing that. I I I would assume that's the pre-show. Uh, that's actually on main event, Tony. It is? What the hell? So they're not even on the paper. Okay, whatever. Well, then I guess that's it. Maybe somebody sure beats them at main event and the match gets made. Huh? So I think that Bo Dallas will most likely get the pre-show. Oh, okay. Um, maybe somebody beats them tomorrow night on main event and that's just the, the tag title match. Okay. I mean, at this point, you got to think something's forthcoming as far as the tag titles go, because you don't imagine that they would do the, big, the biggest show of the summer and leave one of the belts off of the show, let alone two, because the U.S. champion, Sheamus, isn't on the show either. Mm-hmm. So you got to think something more is coming there. All right, it's time for the final reaction. Uh, Jimmy, as our guest, why don't you go ahead and go first here? Uh, letter grade. Letter grade for tonight. I'm going to give it a uh, a solid A minus. It's a little more than Daniel Bryan's B plus standards, but I enjoyed the match, and or I enjoyed the show rather. I'm sorry. It was it was a good go home show. Obviously, there are a few things that I kind of didn't like the Steffi Bree thing. I didn't like the. Uh, I really didn't care for the opening, but I mean. I mean, I love Heyman, and uh, the, I just I can't, I can't trust Brock. And Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns' promo really threw me off there because you believe that, and I was like, "Are you saying something in English?" So, yeah, I give it an A minus, though. Your favorite moment of the show? Um. Oh, jeez. I guess uh, getting to see the legends at the end, I'll go with Hogan's party, was pretty enjoyable. Your least favorite moment on the show? The least favorite moment was a lack of stardust. Where was the promo? I love those things. (laughs) Well, I guess now that they're back in the ring on a regular basis, uh, maybe they're probably not going to be doing this backstage bitch. All right, well. Sorry to cut this short, but i got to go take care of the little one. I'll talk to you guys later. Oh, that's All right, have a good one. night, Jimmy. All right. Thanks for coming. Jimmy has a little one, as he mentioned there. He just became a father a couple months ago, and 
like I said, I send out my best to him in that regard there. And obviously the son's not so happy about being the second banana to a rainbow show at the present moment. So obviously he's going to go take care of him. All right, Tony, same questions for you. Letter grade for the show tonight. The baby probably saw the Bree and Steph segment. Um, I, I'm i going to go B, B minus area. The wrestling, you know, the wrestling was good. Um, I don't think we said that or, or mentioned it. I think every match was pretty solid for the most part. Uh, the storyline progression was what dragged on for me. I didn't like it too much. And I was trying to look at Raw as just a single episode to rate, but it has implications on the last few shows that we've seen, how the story, they're, 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 they, meaning the WWE, are just kind of unable to continue a storyline's interest. And I always try to add a bit more than they should in some cases, and not enough in other cases. And I saw that a lot tonight, so I'm going to go with a B, B-minus area. Um, my favorite moment is AJ writing Eva Marie. No doubt about it. Your least favorite moment? Uh, when AJ got up. No, um, <laughs> I, I'm going to stick with the, uh, the Brie, Steph, and you know, Claire Lynch light segment. just wasn't needed. You already did the last part of it, because usually after we do the favorite and least favorite, I have you describe why you gave it the letter grade, but you already did that here. So I'm going to go ahead and do yeah. my little spiel here. Um, I'm right there with you. I give tonight's episode a B, and it had nothing to do with the matches that we saw. The reason tonight's show gets a B is because everything that they tried to push, with the exception of Cena and Lesnar tonight, I feel that they went either too far or not far enough. Bree and Stephanie did not need this in any way, shape, form, or fashion. It felt tacked on. It felt like an excuse just to put them on the screen tonight when, realistically speaking, with as much heat as those guys had already. And the fact that it is a McMahon in the match at SummerSlam, that the fans were going to be behind it. Tonight's implications were just cheesy and over-the-top and unnecessary. Uh, Roman Reigns mumbling his way through a live promo after the match. I don't think him cutting the post-match promos is going to be his strong suit. I think if Roman Reigns is going to talk, he's going to have to do his speaking before the matches or, like I said before, in backstage segments or pre-tape interviews. Uh, the Jericho Wyatt thing. Interesting concept, a little sloppy in execution, as you said. They do an excellent job with... They do an excellent job in getting you to want to watch their characters. But at the same time, putting them against each other is going to do nothing but confuse the fans as to which one they're going to cheer for, even though Bray's a heel. He has a massive fan following, and Jericho's always going to have that fan following of people that know him as Y2J, that follow him, that have been following his career for years, as I have. So it's going to be a case of the fans that are going to be torn between Jericho and Y, which I think is going to make for an interesting atmosphere, but it just didn't give us enough on tonight's episode of Raw. Uh, my favorite moment of the show, Scott Hall's survey. Like I said, it took me back to when I was a 12-year-old kid. There you go. My least favorite part of the show? Yeah, that Megan Miller segment can fuck off. Straight up. <laughs> There's no need to be nice about it. It can fuck off. So we, I explained the reason why I gave the show a B. Um, anything to add here, Tony? Nope, that's it. Not that we haven't gone 10 minutes over what we usually do anyways. Yeah. Um, if you were listening to this any time within the sound of, any time within the date of August 11th, 
On behalf of myself, and I hope I speak for Tony as well, we would like to dedicate tonight's episode of The Raw Reaction to the memory of the great Robin Williams. Yeah. One of my two said. One of my favorite movies of all time is Aladdin, and Genie will always be that standout character to me from Aladdin, and the man behind it was Robin Williams. Um, folks, uh... Suicide Prevention Hotline. There are plenty of numbers. There are local branches and everything. If you feel the need to get help, by all means, don't hesitate. Do so. It's it's a it's a topic that's very close to me, and that's all I'm going to say about it. I don't want to go too many personal details here, but it's a topic that's very close to my heart. And if you feel the need to find somebody to talk to, find them to talk to. There's always another way out. He's Tony Acero from 411 Mania. I'm Harry Broadhurst. This has been The Raw Reaction, a presentation of Powerhouse Radio on blogtalkradio.com. We want to thank you for listening. We'll see you guys next week here with the follow-up and fallout of SummerSlam 2014. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next Monday night. Good night, everybody. www.prowrestlingpowerhouse.com We will see you for the Thursday Night Destruction with John DeMasselli on Powerhouse Radio. <laughs>